You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, we're continuing in the series from the Gospel of Mark, telling the story of Jesus. And today we're looking at his lakeside ministry. When we started chapter three, we see that uh, he ends chapter two with acknowledging that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Because one of the things that is bringing so much opposition and conflict towards Jesus is what happens on the Sabbath. His disciples are going through the cornfields and they pluck some, uh, some grains. The grain field may not have been a cornfield, probably a wheat field. And uh, as, as they eat that, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders are upset. Why are they doing what is unlawful? And then Jesus, in the course of explaining that to them and declaring, it becomes an occasion to declare who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of Man. And he lets us know what Father God's heart was in establishing the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not, <laughs> we were not made, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. It was an opportunity for us to enter into a, a, a day of connecting with him to the fullest. Putting away the work, resting, relaxing, experiencing him, enjoying his presence. <clears throat> and so we begin in chapter three with once again, it's the Sabbath. And he heals a man who has this withered hand. And last week we looked at that and I said, I think it was a setup. I think it was a total setup. They were wanting to catch Jesus and to have something where everybody could witness it. And Jesus made it very, very simple for them because he teed it up and he had the man stand in the middle of the, of the synagogue. And Jesus saw the hardness of their hearts and he was grieved. He was upset with the hardness of people's hearts. And he asked, is it, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save life or to kill? And as he goes through that, he heals the man, tells him to stretch out his hand, and his hand is, is completely, completely restored. And they go out to meet together how they might kill Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He just said, is the Sabbath not a day to promote life and not death? And yet on the Sabbath, they immediately leave to plot how they can kill Jesus. Breaks my heart when I read that. So that brings us up to where we are today. In verse seven, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. 
but he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Let's pray. <clears throat> we stand under the authority of your word, Lord. We ask that you would release your spirit, that we'd have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive the full message of the gospel of your kingdom. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. So while the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Herodians are getting together to plot how they're going to kill Jesus, Jesus decides to go to the lake. Do I get a witness from anybody besides the Grams? They're lake people. They, they go to, he goes to the lake. I think, I think going to the lake is a good idea. Anybody? Yeah. So he withdraws to the lake. And, and it says that many people followed him. The crowd, a lot of people went with him to the lake. I wonder if he invited them. They followed anyway. It's interesting that while he's at the lake, it's the people of the Galilee region that is, is with him. <clears throat> and there at the lake, word starts to get out of what he's doing and who he is. And they're starting to connect the dots. The one who can redefine what Sabbath keeping is, is the one who has authority over sin, sickness, diseases, and de demons. And now they're starting to see, okay, who is this? And it gets out and now it goes beyond. It goes into Southern Israel. And now all these other places have heard what he's doing. And so they come out to the lake. So much so that there's, there's so many people that are coming that Jesus has to start making preparations. Because when you're in a crowd that size, getting crushed, being pressed upon is, is a concern. Now, it's interesting that we see at the end of chapter one that when he healed the leper, <clears throat> he told the leper not to tell anybody what had happened, but go and show himself to the priests. But instead, he went and blabbed it to everybody. <laughs> and it ends chapter one, the last verse of chapter one is, is communicating to us that Jesus could no longer openly go into public places. And so he had to go out into the lonely places. I don't know what the lake is. It's not quite like the desert, but evidently as he goes to the lake, there is this drawing of people that is coming, more and more are coming to him because of what is taking place. Now we know that if you wanna get a, a lot of people together, you know, you can start taking one of those money machines and just start cranking out money and letting it go all over the place. And people will come around, just go to the mall and do something like that. You can gather a crowd. But the crowd that's gathering is the people who are in need. It's the people who are suffering. The upper crust of religion is having committee meetings on how to destroy Jesus. But the ones who need a shepherd, the ones who need a savior, they're coming to him. And as they're coming to him, he is moved with compassion. We see it over and over again in, in the gospels that he, when he looked upon the multitude of people, he had compassion because he saw them as sheep not having a shepherd. 
And so the heart of the Lord Jesus is always moved by whatever it is that you need. Whatever is deficient, whatever is broken, whatever isn't functioning right, that's what draws the heart and the compassion of Christ to you. And so they're coming. They get the small boat ready. We've got to have a small boat. We can get a little away from the water because those that are diseased are coming toward Jesus. And I think of the woman with the issue of blood. And somehow she pressed through the whole crowd and got to Jesus. <clears throat> I think that's just a one little specific instance of what's happening in the general. Everybody is moving toward Jesus because healing is coming from him. And they know if they can just touch him that they'll be healed. And so they're pressing. He gets in the boat. Well, it doesn't actually say that here, but we know that there, there's preparations to make for that if he needs to. Other places he gets in the boat. And I think uh, <clears throat> it's a great way to get your amplification system for your sermon if you get out a little ways on the water. Because you, have you ever noticed how sound carries when you're up on the lake? And it just, whew. So it's a great place to teach. But here the passage doesn't say he taught so much, but that healing was taking place. Healing was taking place. And Mark does, doesn't go into great detail because <clears throat> he's wanting to get to the cross as fast as he can. But here we look in the other Gospels and we see all the detail of what he taught. If you're wanting to understand the message of the kingdom, the upside kingdom of God, get into the Gospel of Matthew and read what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but then continue on through chapter 9 so you can see what that looks like. What does this kingdom ideology look like in the natural realm? Jesus being the king, when the king comes, he has the authority of where he reigns and rules and he releases heaven in the earth everywhere he goes. So much so that sin, sickness, disease, the demonic, all of it has to submit. And so as they're pressing in on him, as the crowd is coming in, Jesus <laughs> is being acknowledged as the Son of God. But it's not from the people. <laughs> it's from the demons. It's the demons. And you're thinking, have you ever had a meeting? We just have a meeting. We're going to come. And, and as we gather, uh, you start noticing that there's a whole segment of a section in the building where the demons are sitting. No. How the demons get there? They got there because they were attached to the people. We know in the Gospels that the one woman had a, a bent over condition afflicted by an evil spirit. And it's like, oh, so how did the demons get? Demons don't want to get close to Jesus. We see in Mark chapter 1 that when he goes into the synagogue and he teaches and they say, who is this? Because he, he teaches with authority and with power, not like the regular teachers. And then a demon pops up and says, I know who you are. 
You're the son of the Most High God. He also knows his eschatology. His question is, don't tell me it's time. Have you come to torment me? Because he knows at the end, Satan and all the fallen angels are dealt with. And so the demons understand a whole lot more than the people do. And so they're there somehow attached to the people. And as they're coming to get healed, the demons are acknowledging who Jesus is and he sternly warns them to not reveal who he is. <clears throat> Some theologians call it the messianic secret. That Jesus is trying to keep his messiahship. Shh, shh, shh. He doesn't want everybody to know because he hasn't gone around to enough areas to proclaim and teach the good news. Eh, I don't know if I buy that, but that's what I was taught when I was in school. The messianic secret, I just don't think Jesus wants the kingdom of darkness proclaiming who he is. He wants us who come into the light out of the kingdom of God to proclaim and declare this is who Jesus is. I don't think Jesus has a problem with anybody saying, this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God, this is the Christ, this is the Holy and Anointed One. He doesn't have any problem with that if it's coming from those who know him to those who don't. Now I put before you just the suggestion. Maybe it's time to start making him known. Maybe it's time for us individually, personally, to declare who Jesus is in the marketplace, in our neighborhood, amongst those who don't know him. It might just be a good idea because I believe that when you step out as an act of faith to proclaim who Jesus is, the Holy Spirit is right there. The spirit of love and power is right there to come and to bear witness to your proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it does so in such a way that diseases get healed. Demons get cast out. The sick are healed. Hmm. Blind eyes see, deaf ears hear. Those that are underneath a whole barrage of shame and guilt and condemnation and, and the power and the affliction of addiction gets broken because we have a king who reigns today in our midst. And we need to make known wherever our feet go that the king is alive, that he is alive and well. And so what are we saying when we're telling the story of Jesus? Jesus is the son of God. He is the king who sits on the throne. He has the right and the power to rule and to reign.
Next week, I'm planning on showing another video clip that will help express this so beautifully, just like this one on the kingdom about heaven and earth. And everywhere we go and we proclaim Jesus, what we're doing is in the midst of the sin darkness of this world, we're releasing a portion of the kingdom, the kingdom's light, the kingdom's love, and the kingdom's power and authority. And as we do that, let things come into alignment. Amen? Mm -hmm. So the king is here. And it's not King Richard. It's King Jesus. And he is here to proclaim the gospel of his kingdom. If you need forgiveness, the very core is that the one who was without sin took upon himself our sin so that we might receive his perfect righteousness. And so if there's enemy is plaguing you with any kind of condemnation, shame, guilt, whatever, let's bring that to the king who already died. Paul says, for those that are in Christ, there is no longer any condemnation, past, present, and future. You have been forgiven. But if you need forgiveness today, receive the good news that the one who was holy and righteous, the Lamb of God, was slain for you. He takes the sins of the whole world, which includes your sins and my sins. And he is the sacrifice that brings atonement, that brings reconciliation with a good, good father. If you got body parts that aren't working today, it's a great day to just invite the king into whatever's not functioning right in your body. If it's organic, if it's functional, whatever the nature of the illness or sickness, the king has authority over all of it. And we're specifically targeting cancer. We're going on record that we absolutely hate the ravages of sin. And we want to see cancer destroyed. And we want to see the place where the kingdom is to be a cancer-free zone. And we want to see the fullness of life and health and love. Wholeness. (laughs) Because we serve the risen King. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.